there's a big communication gap between the provider community and the payer community. And so if you really think about it, the, the, they both need each other, right? So the, the payers need the providers, clearly, right? Because that's a point of service. They're not actually filling teeth. They're not doing any work. Um, and the financing of oral health care has been a boon to the dental industry. Um, and anybody who says it hasn't, you know, really hasn't, you know, looked at the numbers, long, you know, long enough to understand sort of, you know, how that works. I see this crowd out there that are like, just move all of your practice to no insurance. That's the best way to go. And I know it's worked for some people, but I've had other people say that doesn't work for everybody. That's not possible to do for everybody. It's a very niche strategy that works in some markets. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Dental insurance. That sounds awesome. There's paparazzi, champagne, bubbles, and there's confetti all the time. It's not so much. No. If you're working at a call center, just think about it. Like nobody's calling you up and saying, Hey, listen, thanks for paying my claim on time, you know, or that root canal, you guys referred me to the endodontist and it was exquisite. Thank you so much. Um, you're just taking crap from people all day long, 80 calls in a row. That's your day. Welcome to another episode of Dental Marketing Theory. I'm your host, Gary Bird. I'm the founder of SMC National, where we help you create, convert, and close more new patients so you can grow the way that you want. But if you're going to get patients, they're probably going to have insurance. And today, I have a special guest that knows everything, or almost everything, that you're going to want to know about dental insurance, Patrick Aurorak. He is the CEO of Practice Quotient. And today, we're going to be discussing do DSOs actually get more leverage when it comes to dental insurance? And can you actually ditch dental insurance? Are there people out there that are ditching dental insurance 100%? Absolutely. And is it right for you? So you're going to want to stay tuned to this. It's going to help you understand the nature and just the current state of the dental insurance world. And you're not going to want to miss this because it will impact your practice. Stay tuned. All right, Patrick. So why don't you tell me how you got into the dental industry? Well, I got into the dental insurance industry when I was 19 years old. I was at a uh, little tiny dental insurance company called Paramount Dental downtown Tampa, where I'm originally from, and started working there because they paid better than the current jo- that job that I had at the time. Um, I didn't say, hey, dental insurance, that sounds terrific. It just so happens that I, I just happened into it. And as a small company, um, it grew and I worked my way into management and grew along with it. And then we built it to a third market share in the state of Florida and then ended up getting bought by a company called Safeguard in Orange County, California. SoCal, love it there, by the way. Um, and then we bought some other companies and then ended up getting purchased by MetLife. And that was back in 2006. Uh, so I worked for MetLife for, you know, we had a cup of coffee and then I decided to move to Atlanta for a girl who ended up being my wife. We have two kids. Uh, so it worked out and, uh, I started working at, uh, Humana. So I built not just dental insurance networks, but I've sold millions of dollars in dental insurance. Um, I know about it and I care to, care to brag about, or I know more about it than I care to brag about. Doesn't make me cool or hit it. Um, you know, the neighborhood barbecue, but it does help us be really effective at what we do. Uh, you know, once I decided to leave corporate, then I had my own insurance and financial services business and I had built a network in Georgia and a bunch of docs were like, Oh, well, you know, I don't have any money, Pat. And I'm like, yeah, 
what? What's the problem? They're like, you've been here for 30 years. What's the deal? And I'm like, oh, you know, see insurance companies, Pat, they're just killing me. They're killing me. I'm like, yeah, well, uh, how many plans do you take? And they're like, oh, uh, I don't know. All of them. Okay. Well, why'd you do, why do you do that? I don't know. I'm like, boy, you realize you can negotiate that, right? What? No, I had no idea. Hey, I got a secret for you. Dental marketing agencies are dead. You got that right. Dental marketing agencies aren't performing the way that they used to because there's so much more complications to growing a dental office than just getting a marketing company. At SMC, we are passionate about being a growth partner and helping your practices grow the way that you want. And we have a free newsletter that goes out every single month at dentalmarketingdigest.com. If you sign up, it's free. And there's over a thousand practices that are already getting these free tips. You don't want to miss out. Sign up now. Links below. So is that is that kind of what morphed into your business now? Yes. So it was more accidental than anything. And so now, you know, I'm the CEO of Practice Quotient. Everybody calls it PQ. Because um, I identified the problem and then people kept asking me to do it. I do teach a class on what to say, how to say it, who to say it to, and still give a version of that lecture to this day. It's much more polished and I would say more humorous, but um, it's always been pretty good. But it turns out, you know, the whole process is very time consuming and um, hard if you're not trained in actuarial science, high level negotiation, statistical analysis, et cetera. Got it. And then so, so what, what is the biggest problem that you see right now that face dentists when it comes to insurance? Like why, why is there such a big, big disconnect? Basically insurances are bad and it's a necessary evil patients like them. I, I think they don't fully understand them. And then the insurance companies, the the status quo is just like insurance money companies are just taking my money and I don't really have an option it, That's or, or leave the insurance world altogether. So wh- where's the disconnect? Why do dentists have this hate relationship with, with uh, dental insurance companies the way that they do? That's a terrific question. I think that the answer varies. So I'm just going to give you my take. And that is there's a big communication gap between the provider community and the payer community. And so if you really think about it, they both need each other, right? So the the payers need the providers clearly, right? Because that's a point of service. They're not actually filling teeth. They're not doing any work. Um, And the financing of oral health care has been a boon to the dental industry. Um, And anybody who says it hasn't, you know, really hasn't you know, looked at the numbers, you know, long enough to understand sort of, you know, how that works. Um, and so as much as the provider and payers need each other, their number one, their financial interests are dynamically opposed. Okay. Um, and then number two, neither side, um, and have viewed it as a, a part business partnership, right. As it should be. Um, for the past several years, there's just been a lot of cost cutting on a, on a payer side. So there's not as much handholding or, um, explain, explaining. Um, and you know, I would say that, uh, a lot of stuff is either automated or, uh, you're not actually talking to a person that you have a relationship with. It's less relationship oriented. Does that make sense? Um, and the providers also, it's more transactional, right? Yes. And the providers don't understand uh, they don't speak that language. The, the providers speak Japanese, right? And the payers speak uh, Portuguese. And where 
you know, you have to be able to speak both languages and also have a bit of an open mind. Uh, and the torch and pitchfork crowd, as I call them, uh, and listen, there's a lot of, yes, them. for sure. There's whole communities around it. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there's, I think that there's some folks that are throwing some gasoline on those flames. Um, but I could tell you, it's always really been there. There's always been a friction or a tension. Um, whenever I give a lecture, I, I can, I always know there's always, I'm like, is it torch and pitchfork time? I'm very, you know, kind of direct. There's the people at the front and then they're like, well, I had this claim and these folks aren't being paid and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, a lot of that's really, uh, cyclic and the insurance companies also these days are struggling with the same challenges or business challenges as everyone else and like staff, you know, for, that's a really good example. I know Gary in your head, you're like dental insurance. That sounds awesome. There's paparazzi, there's champagne bubbles, and there's confetti all the time. It's not so much. No. If you're working at a call center, just think about it. Like nobody's calling you up and saying, Hey, listen, thanks for paying my claim on time, you know, or you know, that root yeah. canal, you guys referred me to the endodontist and it was, was exquisite. Thank you so much. Um, you're just taking crap from people all day long, 80 calls in a row. That's your day. And I know, cause I, you know, I used to manage call centers. So that's what I did in the early stage of my career. And so it's. You know, what, so what, what can you do? Right. And then you're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of claims and then, you know, are some of them going to get messed up? Yeah, they will. Um, and so I think that the tolerance for, from each one, each kind of side is, um, diminished. And I'm not saying that, you know, the insurance companies, listen, guys, all my friends, they were listening to this and my colleagues, they don't want to claim me as much as a friend anymore. Um, you guys are up to some shenanigans too. So it's not all the providers, you know, so some of the, uh, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Like one of my, what's driving me a little wild or has this decade. If you would have told me back in 2018 or 2019 that we we're going to be reducing fees or the fee schedules would be reduced or let, you know, um, the allowable rates, uh, I would say, well, wait a minute. Um, did the cost of living go down dramatically? No. Then why would they, why would you do that? Um, not only has the cost of living not went down, but the cost of doing business has exponentially risen. And so, uh, it's either really, really bad timing, um, or it's, um, well, I'm trying to think of a polite other word for it. Um, but I'll just use shenanigans. The bottom line is the, the cost hasn't gone down. So reimbursement shouldn't be going down and to do so in a dramatic fashion. Um, and they know who they, it's not all of them. It's just some of them. And yeah, is, is not fair or grounded in numbers yeah. to be polite. Yeah. So, so they're, so frame that up for me just a little bit. So the insurance companies are lowering what they're paying and it doesn't necessarily align with what's really going on in the real world with business and all those kind of things. Correct. So certain insurance companies, but large ones. And so let's say Gary Bird Dental um was in twenty eighteen, you're getting like crowds are near dear to the doc's heart. So I assume that that's it was listening. Let's say that you had a nine hundred dollar rate back then, um, or a thousand something like that. Right. 
And then all of a sudden in 2020 rolls around 2021, and then a very large insurance company that's responsible for 20% or more of your patient volume says, Hey, Gary, uh, <laughs> we're, you know, because of costs, we're just going to lower your fees. And so instead of 900 or a thousand, now we're going to pay you 750. Um, thank you so much though, for being a participating provider. We love you. Goodbye. You, what? Wait a minute. For, for what reason? Um, you know, your loss ratios don't, uh, justify that. And the renewal rates don't justify that. And your market share doesn't justify that. And the reality on the ground is that, you know, we were just shut down from COVID. If I'm the provider, Mike, so I'm speaking for my clients now, we were shut down for COVID. We just invested $150,000 in this air filtration system and we can't get staff in here. We're having to pay everybody 10 to 20% more. And uh, in order to provide the type of care, uh, the quality care that our patients are used to, we just can't do it for that. But, and that's where they're feeling the squeeze from both sides. And the, there is not, I mean, listen, man, it's corporate America. So to say that there's a lot of empathy there, it would be silly, but, um, but there's definitely not. And so as, as a business owner myself, when you look at your business partners for them to just to be like shrug and walk away, um, it's not a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. So then what, what can people do about that? So are, are the people who are saying leave dental insurances altogether, just do fee for service? Are they right? Are the guys that are like, Hey, no, use insurance, uh, as a marketing tool and get people in and then, and then do something else after that. Are those people right? Or is there something in the middle that's more, (laughs) oh, maybe, maybe, uh, working with uh, educating the patient and building a relationship with them. So they value the relationship with the, the doctor patient more than the patient insurance. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say that there's not a right or wrong answer. There's not, but I will say this, and this is really what my message is. There's not a one size fits all solution. And there's really not And every practice is different. Their patient demographics are different, even if they're in the same town, two miles away. And so I've seen it. I've had docs in, uh, you know, in a metropolitan area that were within two miles of, of each other. One of them is completely fee for service doing fine. And the other one is, uh, on, you know, pretty much every single plan in that market. And they're, they're doing fine too. It's just a completely different strategy. Uh, and when I'd say 15 years ago, you know, or maybe even 10, especially in the South, uh, there was two, two camps, right. Very clear. And one was we're fee for service only. That's it, right? That's what their flag was. That was their marketing thing. Uh, and the other camp was, you know, we're on every single plan. We don't know why. Now, I, I don't think that either one of those, I mean, if you can be completely fee for service only, then God bless you. I think that's awesome. Um, I think that, uh, if you can swing it, then that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, being on every single plan and not knowing why mm, you're, you're, you're going to have a big hole to crawl out of and you're going to be working really hard for a while. Um, is there a medium? Is there somewhere in between? You know, usually there is. And I'd say our most successful clients that are independent that are doing, you know, even if they have a few different practices and multiple associates, you know, millions of dollars, uh, you know, our clients tend to be more established just by the nature of our business. And are typically on three to four plans. Now, what I would caution the folks out there is let's say that you are on a really 
fair contract. They, they, that insurance company is treating you well. You don't have any issues with them, right? You're not torch and pitchfork. Your staff doesn't hate them, right? And But you have a contract with them that's pretty fair. And maybe it's better than everybody else. Uh, if you just ditch it and you come back to them and the economy hits the skids or something happens to your business, uh, you're not going to get it back. And so that's what you don't want to have happen is that you drop your plans and then you thumb your nose at the carriers. They have uh, a long memory, I assure you. And then you have to come back with your hat in hand. You don't want to do that. That's bad, you know, because they're going to be like, what fee schedule? Like, here you go. Here's our, hold on. Here's our, uh, our frequent flyer coming back to us after we, after you snubbed us, uh, fee schedule. I'm not saying they would do that, Got it. but I would if I was on yeah. the other side. Um, okay. So, so, uh, idea for your thought for you, uh, I hear this question come up a lot. Do DSOs really get a better deal on their insurances because they can negotiate that more negotiating power? Um, in theory, yes. And I think as a general rule, yeah. Um, you have to look at the leverage, what's leverage. And leverage with a DSO is going to be assuming that they have multiple locations. Um, you know, the more locations of ground you can cover, the more money that you are responsible for. Um, you know, so if you have $50 million in, in claims versus um, Gary Bird Dental, who's got a million, right? Well, who has more leverage? That said, once you, the bigger, the more money that's on the table, the more eyeballs that are going to be on it because we're not just talking about short-term money we're talking about long-term money um i think that a um and again this is generally speaking but most of your corporate entities are going to be backed by private equity and they want patient flow they do not want to disrupt that at all um mm-hmm. and so when it comes to a custom strategy they're not typically using custom strategies they're going to be on most if not all plans uh, and so and I don't think this is a secret, but this is how I look at it. And so if I'm the insurance company, all right, put that hat back on and I go, all right, well, you got, you know, 50 locations and you're doing, you know, you're not really doing a million per, so you're going to need some plans. Right. Um, and so we'll have a relationship together. Uh, but I know that you need patience because if your numbers, you know, go down in that quarter, then you're going to have to go to daddy, daddy being your PE firm and explain that, um, and so if I'm shrewd or if I'm smart, which the insurance companies, um, then they're, they're going to know that. So if I know that you're based on volume, then, um, maybe I'm going to give you a better fee schedule and that's definitely true. Um, but, uh, I'm going to have that in my back pocket as well. Does that make sense? So there's a give and yeah. take. Yep. It sure does. So. What are your thoughts on, I've, I've heard, I see this crowd out there that are like, just move all of your practice to no insurance. That's the best way to go. And I know it's worked for some people, but I've had other people say that doesn't work for everybody. That's not possible to do for everybody. It's a very niche strategy that works in some markets. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? We've moved some clients there, so I don't want to totally poo poo the strategy, um, but to tell everybody that that's what you should do is irresponsible i've had just why, why is it ir- help me help someone like me understand why that's irresponsible to to say. all right so let's say and i've i truth like i could 
I'm going to take true stories and encapsulate them into an anecdote. All right. So perfect. You get emotional or you listen to somebody on Facebook and they're like, look, just drop all your plans and you just write some letters to the patients and you tell them that you're awesome and the best thing since sliced bread. All right. Fair enough. And it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden your schedule is, is light. And so you start panicking. All right. So you've already terminated all of your contracts. Now you're out of network. You're having some claims issues. Your staff doesn't understand right what to do. So they, they're freaked out and they're having negative conversations all the time. Not just, you know, one in 10 or even half. It's like all the time, every single patient, unless they're, they had no insurance. And if, um, and so then what happens? Then all of a sudden you have cancellations and then the cancellations come in because they're going somewhere else because the other, uh, because the insurance companies have a lot of marketing dollars too. And so do your competitors who may be on those plans. And so they're pointing them right in the other direction. And now all of a sudden your schedule falls off a cliff. Now you're panicking. Now what? You know, so then you can't get back in network really fast. You might've had some good contracts, but again, even if the insurance company is understanding and they're like, all right, listen, I get it. You know, and they want to let you back in. You still got to go through the credentialing process, which is going to take you at least three months, but probably longer. So it has to be a new application, but in all likelihood, they're not going to give you anything close to what you had unless you had just standard rates before anyway. Um, and so this can sink your business and I have seen it. I've had people crying on the phone and they're like, you got to be able to do something because all of a sudden your, your schedule goes down because the, whatever the patient loyalty wasn't there in the first place. And so, you know, why yeah, is yeah. that different between practices? You know, I, you know, I can't really, I think a marketing expert such as you should, would be better equipped to, um, tell me that, uh, but that's what happens. And if that, ha if you're not doing it in a methodical and a conservative way, then you're silly and that silly again, irresponsible, right? It has to be methodical. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. What I am saying is that ripping the bandaid is not wise. Got it. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, is there anything else that we should cover that we didn't talk about when it comes to insurance and what, uh, offices should be thinking through? Well, there's the financial part of it. There's how much discounting do you need to do to fill your shares? The employers that are tied to it. If I am the doc, right. Or the, it's really the stakeholders of that practice. And so you want to bring in everybody. Um, I think that there's not enough dialogue that happens because let's face it, dental insurance isn't the most exciting conversation, but this is, uh, of, at the very least a financial lifeblood to the practice, whether you're in or out of network, th there is, it's responsible for 80% of your revenue it, at least usually more. Um, and so to put your head in the sand is silly. Um, as far as your independent practices in places like California, um, where there is a larger DSO, uh, you know, happening, there's, or there's a larger DSO presence, a corporate entity presence. Um, your question before was very good about, you know, why they are, you know, can they get better rates? And, you know, again, generally speaking, yes. And so is that fair to somebody who is a top tier provider in their town and has deep roots in their community and has the best training and the best equipment and the best reputation of five-star Google reviews and it's all, you know, real, um, no, it's not fair. And so one thing that we're running point on in California is creating a, a legal, um, 
I don't want to use the word collective, but something that binds together top tier practices where they have access to contracts that are similar to uh, DSO. Um, so if anybody wants to learn more about that, they can get a true blue dental network, but it's only in the state of California because we love Gary and SoCal and the state of California. I got married there too. So, um, we have been working on it for about two years. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so there's anytime you get into an area that has market saturation, um, with a dominant player, you're going to have a very hard time getting out of it so if you look at washington state if you look at alabama there's a dominant player who controls the fees in those states in california you guys are right there on the edge and we're really trying to help educate and save california the largest dental insurance market in the in the world actually so just fyi and i'll be wow if you don't get enough of my compelling rhetoric on the show, you can see me in San Diego at Amos September. If if someone wants to reach out to you and learn more about what you're doing and how they how you might be able to help them, how can they get in touch with you? Well, if you're in California, I would say true. Just go to True Blue, and that's T R U B L U Dental Network dot com, um, which is a subsidiary of True Blue Dental Group, and uh, our everywhere else in the country, I would go to www.practicequotient dot com so that's just like intelligence quotient but practice quotient practice and then q u o t i e n is a nancy t dot com awesome thanks so much for coming on today i really appreciate it and great great topics and great answers and uh i look forward to hearing more about what you're doing in california all right well i look forward to coming out and having a cup of coffee with you carrie bird yes sir let me know when you're out this way <laughs>